turn your Bibles to Matthew 8. I'm going to entitle this little message, uh, The Other Side, and Facing the Reality of Becoming a Regional Center. Um, we'll start in Matthew 8. We'll then go to Mark 4 and then Mark 6. As I, I was waiting on the Lord last night um, for this. And so I'm, I anticipate that God will help us. You have to understand this church. And understand is this church is not just a little community church. I don't mean that because it's really growing and it's going to continue to grow. And there'll be a double portion. This is, you know, the numbers are going to grow. I've, you've heard me say that over the years. And your property is going to grow and all those things. But that's not what I'm talking about today. There's a call on this church not just to reach this community. I know Eunice, Crowley, you know, right here in Jennings, there's a call on this church to affect the larger region of Louisiana. That's not gonna change. And I wanna talk to you about the reality of being in a church that's called to reach out and grow. Now, at the same time, this church itself is called to grow and go and do. Many of you find yourselves in the same place. God's calling you to go deeper in your marriage, deeper as a parent, deeper in your business. Uh, there's one of you, you're scared to death today over a business deal. Like you've really stretched yourself out beyond what you're used to. It's really worrying you. Um, God says, trust him. In fact, you're on a clock right now. You say like in the next 24 hours, when I get to Monday afternoon, I better know something, you will. Now, when we come into Matthew 8, Jesus is on the way to a town called Capernaum. The only reason you and I have ever heard of Capernaum is Jesus didn't just go there. He made his headquarters there. And there are places in the earth where I go, where I realize God is doing something special there. And it's really nothing to do with the size of the city or how educated the people are, or is it like some strategic place in the eyes of the world? There are just places. And I mean, look at Jesus. He is born in Bethlehem. How many of you know that's not Athens? That's not Rome. Um, he was raised in Nazareth to the Jews of Judea and Nazareth with backwoods, kind of, you know, country fishermen. I mean, what good thing will come out of Nazareth? And he headquartered in Capernaum. And as we come into Romans 8, um, I'm going to comment on the centurion, then we'll go right into 14. He's coming into Capernaum and basically a centurion comes to see him. Now, the Romans, 100 years before, had conquered this whole area under Pompeii. In Roman conquest, basically, if you did not surrender, they'd enslave you, kill you, break you. And once you surrendered, you'd keep some of your freedom in a semi-autonomous way. The armies were brutal. You beat Roman in battle, they'd keep coming. And a centurion approaches Jesus. He's probably the leading Roman officer in that city. There's probably, I would imagine, a century assigned there or close. I know it sounds like it's 100. Really, there are 80 men in a century. He approaches Jesus and he said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, Jesus, I'll come and heal him. Sternus said, no, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof, but if you'll say the word, my servant will be healed. I have authority. When I tell a man in my centurion, do this, do that, their century, they do it. This disease has to obey you. Jesus marveled and he said, I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith. All of a sudden, 
getting into Capernaum and he finds the man with the greatest faith he's ever seen. I mean, that's fairly serious. Raise your hand. And, he go, and then he leaves. The centurion servant gets healed. And in verse 14, he comes to Peter's house. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw, speaking of Peter, his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Now, in another account, and there's think three accounts of this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I believe, when Jesus touched his mother, and this is important, the Bible says he rebuked the fever because its origins were demonic. Now, she gets up, must have been a pretty bad fever because the news of it shook the whole community. Next thing we know, the Bible says that evening, that evening, that was during the day, word of the centurion servant had already been heard. My gosh, the Roman centurion, I mean, that was their servant, that was a bad deal. He was paralyzed, probably had a stroke, didn't even lay hands on him. Did you hear about that? Now Peter's mother-in-law, in that night, basically the whole community turned out. Every sick person, every demonically tormented person, people. And Peter and the disciples are thinking, this is revival. Look at this crowd. It was so anointed, the Bible says this. Those who were oppressed by demons, he cast out the spirits with a word. He healed, A-L-L, all who were sick. The Bible almost never says that. Every sick person present was healed. Why? It was fulfilling what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. He took our illnesses, bore our diseases. Now, to the disciples, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Jesus had come to Jennings. Jesus had come to Crowley. Jesus had come to Eunice and shaken it. I can't comprehend what it would be like to have every sick person that came into this church healed. Imagine it. They'd come from hundreds of miles away. To the disciples are thinking, it can't get any better than this. I mean, our whole community is being shaken. Our whole community is being affected. And all of a sudden, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders, what? Take an offering. I believe in offerings. Let's, let's get a building, pitch a tent. The church is really growing. I mean, pastors and crowds, you get a crowd as a pastor. Let's have another altar call. What's God doing? Jesus gave orders to go to the other side. Like, it's counterintuitive for a pastor to leave a crowd. It ain't gonna happen. Jesus, we're leaving. Leaving. Our community is being touched. We're leaving. Not only were they leaving what they loved, they were getting ready to go where they hated. Because on the other side of the Sea of Galilee was the Decapolis, or the Gadarenes, some call it. It was 10 cities. It would really be in um, this Jordan today is where the Decapolis was. It was 10 cities that had been Romanized under Pompey 100 years before when his legions basically took that place captive. The Jews hated it. It's where the pig farmers were, idol worshipers, devilish temples, and of course the dreaded Gadarene demoniac. I mean, they're thinking, we're leaving our culture and what we know to go there. You see, when you're in a regional church, when you're in a church it's called to impact a larger region. And there's another phase in the destiny of this church, which I'm not 
I don't want to go there yet this morning, but I want to say this. It's just never about you when that's the case. It's about God using you. And this church is going to continue to reach out. Crowley, Eunice will grow, and there are other cities you're going to plant in. It's, that's not my message, but I want you to understand what it's like spiritually to be part of this. Because simultaneously to what God is doing here with, with, with Pastor Josh and his great team in the church here, and in Crowley and in Eunice and you know, with um, Bubba and Tracy, whenever God's leading a church that way, individuals have it. Many of you find yourselves crossing over into something new, new depth in marriage, new depth in life. And what does that mean? Look with me in Mark 4. Let's go to another one of the accounts of it and cut down in this passage a bit to where I think you are. Mark 4, 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, this is the same story told by Mark. Matthew has an account, Mark has an account, and Luke has an account. Holy Spirit inspired all three of them to give their account to give us the fullest possible picture. Now, in this account, we know the crowds have grown so much that Jesus has gotten in a boat and is preaching from the ocean to the crowd. And the second to the last parable he gives is the parable of the kingdom of God. And he talks about the seed of the kingdom is so powerful that if a farmer plants a seed, that word is so powerful, whether he's sound asleep or awake, it's going to grow. Why am I saying that? Because before you get a big test, God always gives you some knowledge. There's a teaching. That's why I'm telling you, don't, don't forget the teaching because God will test your knowledge. Now, and so Mark, Jesus goes, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. Evidently, Jesus must have been teaching from a boat. So they row out in Peter's little 20-foot fishing boat. I think they were 20, 23 feet, and maybe smaller. I can't remember the exact specifications. They row out, grab Jesus, and put him in the boat. So he told us, time, we're leaving. It's interesting, there were other boats with him. It was like a little flotilla. People were so hungry, I mean, so wanting God, that when Jesus floated off there at, at Lake Arthur, I mean, a bunch of other people were in their boats behind him. I mean, it was that kind of scene. You know, a little bit of coastline, a little beach, little boats. It wouldn't have impressed you. You'd have looked at it. You, you could not comprehend, of course, Sea of Galilee is pretty big, that one of the greatest miracles in history was going to happen there. And so they're leaving. Now, here's the problem. If you don't really understand where you're going, it's impossible to know what it's going to cost you. And Jesus was the only one on that boat that knew they were on the way to the deepest penetration of the Gentile world yet. They were, I mean, they were going kind of like almost out of the Gospels into the book of Acts. And they get in that boat and a great windstorm arose. How many of you have been in great windstorms? Raise your hand. Um, in the Arabic, they call the winds in the Sea of Galilee the shark wind. It's below sea level. There's some kind of high mountainous terrain surrounding it, and they basically can have many hurricanes on the Sea of Galilee. They come up on that sea. Many of you have been, everyone here has been through hurricanes, I'm sure. You've watched them, Port Arthur, all those things. Imagine there are 13 of you in a little fishing boat 
in the middle of the Sea of Galilee or some lake around here and a hurricane hits. Out of nowhere it hit. Now you have to remember it was famous for hurricanes, but when you look at the story, they obviously weren't expecting one. Maybe it wasn't the right season, but four of the men minimally on that boat, Peter, James, John, and um, Andrew, had grown up in fishing families. Their dad's owned businesses. They had fished this since they were little boys. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat. You know what that means? They're, they're, it was filling up and they were sinking. And so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, wide awake, encouraging them. No, he was in the stern at the tiller. He was in the stern, sound asleep on a pillow. Have you ever been in the middle of crisis and feel like God's fallen asleep? Raise your hand. It's like, it's not, it's not your day for the letter of the alphabet or he's busy overseas doing something really big or maybe he's, I mean, where are you? And you just kind of hear this. I mean, Jesus sound asleep. <clears throat> now, why is Jesus sound asleep? Well, he's tired, but also he just taught them this kingdom's so powerful, even when you sleep, it's working. It's test time. And if God is really silent in your crisis, maybe it's because he's already given you the answer. You mean that service you slept through, didn't much want to go to? Yes, that's just the one where you had the answer. Now, okay. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him. Now, by this time, they're probably screaming. How many of you know in a hurricane, you're not whispering? And I mean, they're yelling, teacher, don't you care? Now they're accusing him. God, don't you care? Don't you love me? Don't you care that we're dying? Now, these are tough men. I mean, Peter and Jesus didn't have a bunch of little kind of, you know, mamby pamby. I mean, they were, some of them carried swords. Peter was still cursing like a sailor after three years with Jesus. I mean, Peter tried to behead a man. These were not like, you know, kind of little, all sitting there with their wingtips and their, their ties, kind of praising either him. No, 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 no. Nothing wrong with that. These were, they, they'd have been hunting, fishing. I mean, eating shrimp. And they're so scared. They, they're screaming. If you cared about us, you'd help us because we're dying. For Peter, James, John, and Andrew to feel like they're dying, it's bad. The boat is going down. And he woke up, and this is the essence of what I want to say. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, shut your mouth. In the original, it's muzzle, shut up. I'm going to put a muzzle on you. The wind ceased, and it was calm. And then only God can do this. You got to be kidding me. You were afraid of that little storm? They're thinking, that's like a hurricane that like kills people. What's wrong with you? You don't have any faith at all? And they were filled with great fear. When they saw Jesus stop a hurricane dead in its tracks, all of a sudden they learned a fundamental lesson of life. We fear God more than a hurricane. They're stunned. They, they know people die in that hurricane. They know those boys realizing, if you're caught in that, you're dead. What happened? When you go into the original language, it becomes very clear that Jesus was not a weatherman. This was not about his powers as a meteorologist. He was speaking to demonic forces. 
the word he rebuked he rebuked the he rebuked the wind and said to the sea shut up the word rebuke is a word from jewish exorcism it's the very word used to rebuke demons in fact in the book of mark it's used two times when jesus rebukes demons and this interesting word peace be still which is really muzzled in the Greek tense, it's used in a way as if you were speaking to a human. Shut up and stay shut up. And they knew it. They go like, who's he like talking to? He just like, I mean, that's probably the same thing he said over Peter's mother-in-law when he got that demon. Like, who'd he muzzle? What Jesus realized instantaneously when he woke up is that the source of this storm was not natural. It was supernatural. And that the demon spirits, I don't normally speak this candidly on a Sunday morning, and the Bible talks about powers and principalities. We, we know the God of this world has blinded eyes. The demonic spirits that had guarded that gathering were so afraid of Jesus and his disciples that stirred a demonic storm to destroy him. Now, here's the question. If you're in a storm today, and in both services, 80% of the people were, so I imagine you are too, how do you recognize if what you're facing is not all natural. How do you, in the middle of some crisis, of some crazy thing, realize, okay, this isn't all natural. Like, this is, this is maybe spiritual. Now, here's what I've learned. And, of course, certain things are both. It can be natural and spiritual at the same time. But how do you realize? Why is it important? Because if you don't discover the root, it's hard to deal with with the fruit. Now, let me say six things to you very quickly Then I want to go from this into Mark 5 and 6. We started talking about their faith. Why did Jesus go to Capernaum? He found faith. Why is he using this church? Found faith. God doesn't need to find much. Doesn't need to find Massive athletic ability, tremendous talent, genius thoughts. Peter said, Paul said, those folks don't normally get saved anyway. He does need to find one thing, faith. When he finds a people with faith, nothing is impossible. God needs two things from you, faithfulness and faith. If he gets faithfulness, he can build faith in you. He'll build it small group by small group, Sunday by Sunday, class by class. When the enemy attacks you, it normally presents itself in two forms, a wave or a wall. Bubba, like me, travels. I can get off the plane in a country and be totally joyful, and all of a sudden, I'm smashed in the face with a wave of depression, a perverse wave, a wave of anger, a wave of fear, a wave of rejection. The enemy, all of a sudden, you're feeling overweight. I was just feeling fine. Now I'm being overrun. Many times, that's a sign that it's not just chemical. It's not just a bad day. You're not just hungry. You're not, you're, you're not just hangry. I mean, no, the enemy is attacking you. It can also present itself like a wall. Ever feel walled off? Like, I mean, it's just all around you. You lose touch with people. You lose touch with God. And it can happen so fast. Now, when that happens to me, I step back, and I have a gift of discerning. And, you know, Jesus, of course, son of God, that helps, obviously. But he also had a gift of discernment. He knew intuitively. So a lot of times I know intuitively it's the enemy, 
But even when it's your family or your spouse, it's really hard to tell. And so when I think it might be the enemy, this is the checklist I use. If you're thinking, maybe this thing is not natural, maybe it's supernatural, I examine four things. It's intensity, it's density, it's immensity, and propensity. I love rhyming things. Intensity, density, immensity, propensity. First of all, if you start saying, man, it's never this hard. This antibiotics always work for the kids. The kids have never been sick this long. We fight from time to time. We kind of got a spicy marriage, but not, it's not been like this in years. I, I haven't felt this rejected since I was 13. Where'd it come from? When you start talking in terms like that, it's time to ask the question, is it one, either a spiritual source or is the enemy just come to heighten it? I begin, okay, wait a minute. This, this, this doesn't happen to us ever. We're never this, we're never that. That's why I say, okay, Lord, wait a minute here. Is this something we don't just need to heal, we need to rebuke it. Next, density. When you deal with something spiritual and dark, there's a density with it. It can get thick. It can change your perspective. And when everything you normally do to break through something doesn't work, you better ask the question, what am I under spiritual attack? It's dense, it's thick. Thirdly, there's this immensity issue. The longer you're in a dark time of spiritual attack, here's what happens. Your monster you're facing is maximized and the master you're serving is minimized. Jesus gets smaller, the monster gets bigger. And the, and the longer you stay in that storm, the more hopeless and despairing you come because storms are designed to put your focus on the monster, not the master. Jesus gets smaller, your problem gets bigger. And fourthly, and most subtly, which is how the disciples missed it here, is propensity. The enemy has been hunting humans for a long while. It's nothing compared to Jesus. He's a created being. But what he knows is if he'll attack us in an area where we have a natural or historic propensity to struggle, it takes us a long time. I'm a little melancholy, but man, I'm not normally depressed and despairing like this. I, I know, you know, Lord, I know I'm irritable. I never was till I married him, but I'm, I'm a little irritable. But now I'm angry. Hmm. So what the enemy will do, I, you know, I, I try to be selfless with my wife, but it's hard and I'm just extra selfish. And what happens is he'll come in an area where we have a propensity to struggle He'll heighten it spiritually because it takes us longer to realize, wait a minute. Now, how the disciples get tricked? Well, the four leading that crew, Peter, and they were probably the captain, other than Jesus, they grew up there. They were used to storms. They'd heard stories of storms. And so the enemy slipped through something they thought was natural. It was supernatural. They should have realized they'd never seen a storm like that. They should have realized it was dense. They should have realized that they're losing all sight of Jesus. Now, let me tell you one other thing. The lens through which you see life is critical. If you judge every experience by how it affects you, you'll miss much of what God is doing. If you're in a storm that you just can't figure out, if you're in a storm that just doesn't seem to make sense to you, have you ever stopped and wondered, maybe it's not just about you? Maybe God is something else. When I look at Kathy being so sick with seizures after having cancer for so many years, you know, when God healed her of seizures, it happened in one minute in our prayer time after 10 years. It left her brain with not one mark of ever having a seizure. You know, my first question was, after I said, thank you, why not nine years ago? 
You ever wonder? Like, Lord, I know you're always on time. And one thing for sure is we have a, we have a real time problem here. Someone once said to me, what is God's time? Never when you want it to be. Always sooner or always later. I mean, that's just a fact. Why? Well, we wouldn't have met all those girls we brought into our home and raised if she wouldn't have had them. I mean, God had a plan. It, life's not just about you. And many of you are all saying, what's this to do with me? Maybe nothing. Because that storm was all about 10 cities, not just 12 men. Do you understand that? There are storms many of you are facing. They're about you, but they're also about what you're called to do. Now, Josh, how am I doing? I got one minute and 52 seconds left. All right. Okay, good. I'm trying to make sure we don't miss the chicken line or the crab line. Okay, here we are. Now, in, in Luke 5, they come to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes or the Decapolis. And there was a famous man there. He was the Osama bin Laden on steroids terrorist of his day. He, he lived under Roman rule. The Bible said he'd been chained many times and shackled, super chained, and snapped them. No one could subdue him. That means Roman soldiers had come to his cave, his tomb, chained him. He had snapped the chains and thrown them as if they were nothing. Now they just left him alone. He was the greatest fear of a region, powerful, angry. And now he's running toward Jesus. Also, the Bible said he was a cutter. He'd scream night and day. Couldn't, if he couldn't find a human to slash, he'd slash himself. The minute, immediately, they come off the boat and he comes running toward them. Now, this is interesting. He saw Jesus from afar. He ran and fell down before him. How could a man that a Roman century couldn't change. How could a man, the, the most feared man in the world, just fall down when they see Jesus? You know why? Because when Jesus shut those spirits up and they had that storm, he weakened the power that was animating that man. The struggle you're in today is preparing the very people you're called to reach tomorrow. Your prayers your warfare are not just about your little family or your community. Now, the demonized man, Jesus says, come out, unclean spirit. And this is interesting. So come out, and then he says, he cries out in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, don't torment me. In the Greek, what he's saying is, in the name of God, don't torment me. The demon spirits were so powerful in this man, he basically rebuked Jesus back in the name of his own father. And then Jesus said, well, okay, wait a minute. Tell me your name. It's the only time in the Bible Jesus does that. It's just recorded three times, same story. Legion. Why legion? Probably he embodied the, the, the violence and the destruction of the Roman legions that had been there, and that demon spirit was destroying that area. Legion. Jesus basically said, come out. And then the man begged, don't let me leave here, the demons. Please let us stay. We love it here. Why? They've been ruling that area. You know the story. They got in 2,000 pigs, and the pigs drowned. Someone asked me, what's that do to pigs? Beats me. I'm just glad they still taste good. Now, so the pigs just all tumbled off into the water. Now, catch this. This is so important. Then we come into one of the strangest things in the Bible. The disciples are thinking, 
that's an awful big storm for one naked man, kind of a failure in outreach. I mean, you know, our newsletter, we reached one naked man in our outreach. I mean, it's kind of a waste of time. Anyway, humor aside, listen to me. Next thing the disciples know, the man's totally in his right mind. Those of you in the therapy or counseling world, that's impossible unless it's demonic. Is the neural patterns that had wrapped around those violent memories were instantaneously made new. And then the disciples were stunned. The man goes, I want to be your follower. Number one, people didn't say that to Jesus and really mean it. But this is what stunned him more. No, you can't follow me. Demands heartbroken. Jesus says, listen, go into every one of these 10 cities and just say, this is what Jesus did for me. They'd all seen him and they didn't have wanted posters in those days, but they knew who he was. So Jesus and his disciples take back off. A few months later, they come back in Mark 6. And here's what it says. Interesting, in Mark 6, there was a storm also. Couldn't even endanger him, just kind of stopped him for a few hours. Power is too weak now. In Mark 6, verse 53, when they crossed over their second attempt, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. They put out more lines. They're going to be there a while. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. No social media, no cameras, no news, no little drones with pictures and security. And they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or the countryside. They would lay the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his robe. Whoever touched him was healed. We started with everyone in a little teeny community that was sick being healed. We ended in region-wide, 10-city revival. Let me just, let's, let's go down here. With no social media, his fame was so great that wherever they went, he followed them. In every marketplace, from the smallest farming village to the biggest city, when he got there, the sick, the demon eyes would be laying out. He didn't have to say a word. They just touched the fringe. Why? Because one little city believed. Because 12 men, the leaders of which, had said yes. Why Capernaum? Why Jennings? Because a small group of ordinary people said yes to an extraordinary God and a whole region is going to find healing and blessing because you are willing to live beyond your community, to live beyond your own needs, face the needs of others. Many of you are crossing over into things right now, not just the church into its regional destiny, but in your business, your health, your life, what God has for you. Many of you find yourself in pretty big storms right now. I will say this, bigger the devil, bigger the door. If you've got a big storm, there's something even bigger coming around the corner for you. 
You say today is, I, I, I fully want to get to their side, Pastor, but I have a lot of storms. Raise your hand. If your hands are up, please stand up. I'm feeling better already. If you're in a storm, stand right up. Boy, I, I love this part of the service. I don't feel so alone anymore in my storm. That's why Bubba and I get along so well. We're always in the storm. Bubba, Josh, please come with me. Pray this, Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to rise up and rebuke the storm. You have the power to muzzle the storm. You've given us the power to speak to it. And right now, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for these great people. Lord, when you find a group of people like this, there's nothing you cannot do. And I pray for all the other cities they're going to reach. The nations where they'll plant flags in another part of their destiny. I pray for every man and woman in the middle of a storm as they go for your best and their family, their business, their life, their health. And I say right now, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Be muzzled. Be muzzled from your incessant torment in their minds. In Jesus' name. Bring this great church in all of its sights into everything you have.